Why do kids play sports? Is it to go pro or earn a scholarship? Or are they looking for extraordinary experiences that they can build on for the rest of their lives? I'm Coach Dave Vasileros, and this is the Dad Bod Soccer Podcast, where we will explore life lessons and universal truths taught by youth sports. I'm just a regular guy. I grew up playing soccer, coaching all my kids, staying around the game that I love. I want to help the next generation of parents and coaches keep youth sports about the kids. And I am so glad that you're joining me. Hello, and welcome to Dad Bod Soccer Podcast, Episode 3. The goal of today's episode is to answer the question so many parents ask, should my kid try playing soccer and why? Now, I love all sports. I think that kids should try out a bunch of sports, but I think that soccer has something pretty unique to offer and to help me kind of articulate what that is, I brought in an expert. My guest today is Brandon Zimmerman. He's a longtime coach. He's from Richland, Washington. He played his college soccer at Santa Clara, one of the top programs in the country. He was drafted to play in the MLS. He has a brother, Preston, who's played professionally in Germany, and he's currently the director of coaching at a club here in Idaho called Idaho Storm. Brandon, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. We're sitting across from each other in the studio. It's awesome to do this in person instead of over Zoom or whatever it is, but it's also weird that I'm gazing straight into your eyes, but you're going to have to get used to that. To get us started, tell us something kind of quirky about you. First, hopefully it's only one hour that we have to gaze into each other's <laughs> eyes. Any more than that, we might have an issue. <laughs> so quirky is not a word I like to use to describe myself, but I would say that one thing I really love doing that nobody knows about is I'm always building things, working on the house, doing things with my hands. It's very rewarding to me. Before we get into a little bit more of your background, I want you to tell me what coach made the biggest difference in your life and what did you learn from him or her? Go. First of all, there's a lot of coaches that had an impact on me. It's hard to choose one. And it's also important to note that even negative experiences can have an impact on you in growing and learning. But the one person that definitely had the largest impact on me would be Bernie James, who lives in Seattle. Um, he runs the Crossfire Soccer Club. I spent some time there, and that's really where I took off. It wasn't just the soccer experience that made the impact on me. It was also that he cared. I lived with him for six months oh, when wow. I was young because I'm three and a half hours from there mm. and was very unselfish in helping me reach my goals. Man, that's the kind of thing I love to hear about from players, from their coaches. They were unselfish. They gave their, their own time and their own resources to help. Well, let's dig in on that because Richland is, how many, what's the population of Richland, Washington? Yeah, so Richland, Washington is part of three cities that are together. It's called Tri-Cities, and it's less than 200,000 people. Okay, and what part of Washington is that? It's in southeastern Washington. So pretty far from Seattle. It's yeah. like almost the entire state yeah. to drive there. Okay, you're not exactly a small town, but smaller than your Seattle's and Portland's of the world. Absolutely. What was it like being a player in a little bit smaller market? About 200,000 is probably close. It's a little smaller than the Boise Meridian area where we are. What was it like being in, in that kind of an environment? And how did you eventually decide that I got to make the step up and make some real sacrifices to go to Seattle? Yeah. When you grow up in those types of environments, you don't know anything different. Mm. But as you grow older, you start playing teams from other areas with more people, the better the players, and it, it puts things in, in perspective. So when I was young, I was a very good player on my teams. We hit a point where my parents and me didn't feel like we could grow anymore where we were. Yeah. 
So then you decided got to go to a little bit bigger market. And but the most interesting thing of what you just said was that you and your parents decided this together. Do you remember a conversation or was it like a series of conversations over a short amount of time where you decided it's time to make this change? I don't remember a specific conversation with my parents. And to be perfectly honest, they were extremely supportive and would have done anything to help me achieve my goals. They're my parents. And at some point it was, is this something you want to pursue? Yes, it is. And and they gave me the best opportunity in doing that. Mm -hmm. So did they kind of presented it to you and said, you got to make a call? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair to say. And, and it's also important to note that I had an older brother who was also a very good soccer player. So ultimately, mm-hmm. it became me going down his path in many ways. And his path to getting to a larger team was they wanted him. He was getting recruited. So it was nice that you had a brother to go do this with. For sure. That Probably nice for your parents. Can I pause and tell you a quick story? Please. When your parents said you want to do this, and I'm sure they had that same conversation with your brother, and you guys decided yes, as kids— you probably didn't quite grasp what that meant for your parents. Right. In terms of sacrifice, time, money, being away, whatever it is. I want to tell you a story about when I was a kid, we had paper routes growing up. Now, I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, other side of the country, and the paper routes that we did were early morning, seven days a week, 365, right? Rain, shine, snow, Christmas morning, New Year's morning, we deliver newspapers. And it was in a couple of neighborhoods around where we lived. We had three paper routes. I started when I was nine, and I went all the way through high school every morning before school. And do you know who was up almost every single morning with us? I can guess. One or both of my parents. Yeah. And I look back at that now, and I'm like, I'm not sure I'd be getting up at 445 every morning to help my kids do the job. And we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So it was money we needed to help us kind of do the things we wanted and buy a little extra stuff and pay for soccer cleats and things like that. And I look at that as you're telling me your story. And I didn't really ever think about what my parents said in their heads the night before. They're like, hey, you getting up in the morning? Yeah, I'll get up. Hey, do you mind doing it tomorrow? I got a long day at work. Yeah, I'll be there. And then going to bed at who knows what time and getting up at 4.45. Right. You know, as you think about your parents, talk to me just a little bit about your parents and what's their nature and kind of and why would they have done something like that for you guys? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, Dave. I'm not naive to the fact that I had very supportive, good parents that sacrificed a lot. And and it's funny because when you tell that story, it's probably something we don't realize till we're a little bit older, mm-hmm. you know, and I and when I was younger, I thought, oh, this is just the way it was now that I'm older and you have bills to pay and you have things like that, it's like, okay, they sacrificed their time. They sacrificed having the nice car. They sacrificed so many things. They've sacrificed their time together even just to get me to achieve my dreams. And when you're 12, 13, you don't think of it that way. When you get older, you're like, wow, could I do that? I don't know. I don't know. And I think the answer is, I hope for most parents, the answer would be yes. And even if the answer is no, it's I would if I could. Right. I would if I could. Right. I talk about that a little bit in our first episode, but but the the why I think is important. And so far we've hit on the why with your parents, and that is I want to love and support and help my kids. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there's another why that's out there. I'm not going to say it's uncommon. I'm not going to say that it's pervasive, but it's out there. It's significant. And that is I'm going to do this because my kid's going to go pro. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make my kids so good. They're going to go to the Olympics. They're going to get a D1 scholarship. 
So I think on the outside, it looks the same, driving, time, money, all of that. But on the inside, I think that's where the difference can be. And so talk just for a minute about your parents. What was their motivation on the inside? And did you run into kids maybe who had a different experience? They were on the same team as you. They were trying to move up the ladder like you. But maybe it was a slightly different situation with their family. I think you hit the nail on the head, Dave, is that parents do want what's best for their children. It's always like, you know, my son or daughter is the, is the best. They're the greatest. With my parents, first and foremost, we talked about it. They wanted to, they loved me and they wanted to be supportive. But there's a side of that, too, where they want to be proud parents and say, my sons, mm-hmm. they did this, they mm-hmm. did that. And I think that's great. Like, and if they got any reward, I think the greatest reward is just, you know, when you get older, give back. Mm-hmm. But at, in the moment, maybe, is that their hard work is paying off. And that hopefully is what that was for them. You're right. And, and I will say, I am a human being, mm-hmm. right? I talk here about ideals as things could and maybe should be. But I have absolutely been in the stands when my kid scores a banger and I kind of brush my sleeve off and I'm like, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, That's mine right there. Yeah. Right? So there is that. And I get it. And it's totally fine. Yeah. I think there's that understanding, having the maturity or maybe just the, someone in your ear that says, let's keep it at that level. Right. And not get it to, okay, now we're going to make you be, you know, LeBron James. There was one more thing about your background that I think is unique. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of kids get this experience. You went to a program in Bradenton, Florida, yeah. where it was a, what do they even call that? How do they describe that? It was called residency. Residency, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So you moved there. Yep. You lived there full time. I don't know how long you were there, but tell me about that experience. How did you make that decision to go? What was the impact it had on you? And, you know, what'd you learn? Residency used to exist. This was in Florida, Bradenton, Florida, at a place called the IMG Academy. And it was for the U-17 youth national team. And you had to be invited, and it was fully funded. And my older brother went, and he was there for two years. Probably part of it was because of my older brother. Part of it was because I was doing well. I had the opportunity to go and join there. That was an amazing experience. They don't do it anymore. It was a period of time where U.S. soccer is getting together. It's like, okay, how can we get the best 40 players in the country together training and playing all the time? Fortunately, I had really good role models there, and I learned a lot there. You know, with good, there comes bad too, right? I learned the good. I learned how to be on time. I learned how to be disciplined. I learned to to love this sport. I learned how to travel the world. Mm-hmm. I learned how to be a young professional soccer player. And then the bad is you're 15 years old. You're not with your parents more than a couple weeks out of the year. You need to be an adult at 15 years old. I guess you could say that's bad or you could say that's good, but I didn't have the high school dances. I didn't have the high school girlfriends. Mm. It was soccer. You were there for soccer. Maybe we need to have you back and talk a little bit more about that. And we're going to do an episode here shortly on school soccer, Mm -hmm. basically school sports versus club sports. And dig in a little bit, but you touched on it just a little of how important maybe it is for the kids to stay connect their home base. And even if school soccer isn't the best, and I hear that a lot from club coaches, oh, school soccer's kick and run and it's garbage, it's just physical. Maybe that's all true from a soccer perspective. But I can tell you, my kids love playing for their school team. They don't even really, I mean, they care if they lose, they do. But they love playing with their friends at school. So anyways, I want to jump in here now, kind of setting the stage with parents, their involvement reasons for doing things. Today, there's a question a lot of parents ask, you know, what sports do I get my kids into? What do I get them into to try? And should my kids try playing soccer? 
Brandon, I want to start with you. You are the director of coaching at a local soccer club. Mm-hmm. Why don't you describe what you do there in that role? And then particularly, I want you to talk about storm chasers. At our club, you know, my job, first and foremost, is to support the coaches and help the coaches make their job more enjoyable and deal with less drama. Part of that is spending time on the field. A part of that is dealing with issues that we have with parents so the coach doesn't have to as best as I can. And then I don't want to use the word mentor because I learned from my coaches, hopefully as much as they learned from me, but to be a support system. And as part of that, you run a program called Storm Chasers. Tell me about what that is just in a short amount and then we'll come back. Storm Chasers is an introduction to soccer for kids. They come, it's an hour session, six weeks, they they decide, okay, is soccer something I want to do? Then they move to our competitive program. If it's not something they want to do, at least now they know. That's what Storm Chasers is for. Cool. So it's like testing things out yeah. and getting a little feel. You invited me to come help you with a Storm Chasers session a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to tell you my impression. It was so fun to watch these kids. And these kids came in all different shapes and sizes, all different kind of athletic abilities. There were kids wearing jeans and street clothes. There were kids duded up with club gear. It was so fun. These kids laughed. They smiled while they played. They ran. They helped each other. They made tons of mistakes. And at the end of each, we played a bunch of these little small games and then we'd rotate around. I didn't see one kid look at you and be like, I got put on the worst team. Coach Brandon, put me on a different team. Yeah. Or my team got murdered. I don't want to play anymore. Yeah. Not one kid. So bravo to you for setting it up in a way that really encourages that. And I want to talk about that when it comes to soccer. What makes soccer unique? And I'm assuming you played some other sports along the way just for fun because you're an incredible athlete. But tell me, what makes soccer unique compared to some other sports from a youth perspective? First of all, soccer is the only world sport. And there's a reason for that. There's that. There's also the fact that you don't need that much to play soccer. You need something that's round and you need to set up two goals. That can be two rocks or whatever it is. It's safe. There's other sports that are not, are not nearly as safe as soccer. And then almost everybody can play this sport. If you look at, at basketball, for example, in most cases, you are restricted by your physical ability. You have to be X amount tall. You have to be able to do this, do that. I could never play basketball. I always joke with my kids, you got to win the genetic lottery yeah. to play certain sports, yeah. right? You just do. And my kids were never going to be basketball players. They're pretty good soccer players, and they like to play all, all sorts of sports. One thing I love about playing soccer is even at a very young age, I remember this, I got to make decisions. And as I got older, I could kind of put that into the context of being the quarterback. You have 11 quarterbacks when you're playing 11 v 11 full field. You have 11 quarterbacks on the field. And when I say that, I mean every person has responsibility to decide what to do with their body at any particular time. If you have the ball, you don't have the ball. You're playing on the left, playing on the right. You're playing in the back, playing in the middle. You always have to make your own decisions. You can give instructions and you teach certain patterns and things at practice. But when game time comes, you're not holding up your finger calling plays. These are things every kid has to decide. I love that. Also, I'm going to reiterate your point. You are not the tallest person that I've ever seen. Thanks, Dave. Okay, I'm just saying, but I'm making a point. So here I am. I'm six foot one. You're probably five nine, five ten. I don't know what you're. Five nine. Five ten. On a we'll good say day. five ten. On a good day. Five ten on his on his toes. And some of the greatest players who've ever played this game have been small. Mm-hmm. 
Now you've also had amazing players that are tall. Mm -hmm. You have players that are really fast. I remember Steve McManaman, really skinny winger, played for Liverpool. I mean, he looked like he couldn't have been 120 pounds soaking wet, and he had a career at the top level, Liverpool, Real Madrid. You don't have to be a certain size or shape to play soccer. That's a really unique thing, and I think it goes back to why it's the world sport. I don't have sponsors, but there's a company that I want to tell you about. Kaye, which is spelled C-A-L-L-E, is a street soccer brand and nonprofit organization. Kaye's mission is to promote community-based street soccer courts where players can play street soccer for free. No coaches, no drills, just play. They donate 10% of all their sales to the nonprofit Free the Game, which builds public street soccer courts around the country. Check them out at kaye.com, C-A-L-L-E.com. Now, I love street soccer. Maybe not for me so much anymore, but for my kids. My team that I coach plays regularly, and we play on tennis courts. It's 2v2. The first team to two goals wins. They're small goals. Nutmegs count as a goal, and the boys absolutely love it. They play with freedom. They try moves, and they don't get yelled at or coached at all. Maybe they get yelled at by their teammates. Check out our street ball night from my team in the show notes. There's a link there from an event we did a couple years ago. Tell me a little bit about the advantages of soccer when it comes to being active in the thing that you're doing and fitness, kind of the, the exercise component of it. I think, especially for kids, the exercise piece is huge. Um, you have all this pent-up energy. You're sitting in class all day. I don't think they do enough in schools in terms of mm. athletics and running. Why is soccer compared to other sports? Because you're burning off a lot of this pent-up energy. The, the boys, when they get a little bit older, I was an angry Angry young man, Dave, but the <laughs> soccer was an outlet for that and, and used in the right way. Last night, in fact, I ran one of Brandon's training sessions and he ran one of mine. And so I was working with his 10, 11, 12 year olds, something like yeah. that. Yeah. In that range, right? Yep. There were 19 of them. And I, at over an hour and a half, I don't think that I had more than a couple of them standing still mm -hmm. for longer than 30 seconds at a time. Yeah. So if you imagine putting 19, 10, 11, 12-year-old boys in motion for an hour and a half. Yeah. It was awesome. It's awesome to see. And that's something I've appreciated with soccer. I took a couple peeks over to the session you're running with my 15, 16-year-olds. They weren't standing around either. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love that part. Tell me about soccer when it comes to communication, social skills. How does that help bring that out of kids? That's a really underestimated thing about soccer. Okay. It's a team sport. And whether you like it or not, you have to learn to play on a team. I always remember when I was younger, I was thinking like, man, it'd be cool to like play tennis or something. I don't have to rely on this guy or that guy. Mm -hmm. But the real world is collaboration. Everywhere you go is collaboration. You have to be able to work with people. If you can't do that, it's tough. And, and soccer, you're kind of forced to learn that. So like if you want to win, you can't just want to win. You have to get other people on board with you to achieve that goal. And tell me about the kind of importance of communication even on the field mm. for soccer as compared to maybe some of the other sports that, that we watch and play. When you become an adult, you're a professional, that communication is not verbal. When you're young on the field, it's very, very important. And it's important because if you want to have an impact, you're going to have to open your mouth and ask for the ball. If you want to not give up goals in your defender, you're going to have to organize people around you. You're learning a skill that's like, okay, you're put in a, I'm going to use the word, it's a joke, but you're put in a battlefield. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, that's the game. 
And now you have to lead people around you to get the job done. And you have to be able to think and do that quickly. You know, it's not like you have an hour to think about it and take a test at school. It happens very fast. And it's almost like what I was saying about everyone's a quarterback. Everyone's the general or everyone's the commanding officer. And I know we're taking this maybe too far on that analogy, but the point is simply you have the opportunity to lead others. Mm -hmm. You must collaborate with others, whether you lead them or not. You must communicate. I love that about soccer. I certainly experienced that growing up. One of the concerns that I know a lot of parents have is the physicality of soccer. You don't have a helmet. You don't wear pads. It's a contact sport. If you're just getting started out or you're considering your kids played a year or two and you're thinking, do I want to keep doing this? Kids are getting bigger. What would you say to parents? When you look at soccer in so many ways, I guess it's physical. It's supposed to be physical. It's a physical sport. But how often do you see it with all the soccer that's played? How often do you see a very serious injury in soccer? Not nearly as much as other sports. You know, you, you want to protect the kids. They also have this energy that they need to expel. Soccer is a pretty safe way of doing that. And some kids will be more physical than others. That's just the way it works. Again, it goes back to soccer not being a primarily physical sport. Yeah, I think that that's true. And one of the life lessons that I've drawn out of soccer when it comes to physicality is that in the world we live in, there's danger everywhere. There are risks everywhere. There are steps we have to take to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm to build up our own strength, to prepare to walk out the door and deal with whatever life throws at us. And soccer is wonderful at that because sometimes you're taught to run away from a defender, not initiate contact. You're taught run away, go into some other space that's a little safer. And sometimes that's what we do in life. Sometimes you're taught you take that head on. You recognize that this is a time where I'm going to take this risk And I'm going to step in and I'm going to use my skills and my confidence to take you on and beat you Mm one-on-one. And sometimes we do that in our life and in our professional life. And sometimes you just dig in for the battle. Like you're not really going to win, but you have to strive. You have to dig in, use your muscles and your, your low center of gravity, and you have to fight and get in there, even if you don't end up with the ball. Yeah. And I think all three of those things are things we learn in this sport that we take into our regular lives and deal with on a regular basis. Let's talk about storm chasers. Put yourself in the parents' standpoint. You're there running these, and I was with you, and it was awesome. And there was this ring of parents sitting around these little fields. Mm-hmm. Some of them are cheering and clapping, and some of them are on their phones, and some of them are talking to each other, and some of them had coffee, and you know they were just kind of doing it to get the kids out of the house. If you're looking at this from a parent's perspective, what can they expect? starting out, let's say at a beginner club level, right? Rec, we all kind of, I think, understand, but at a beginner club level, what can they expect? Let's start with what does it look like on a weekly basis for training and games? What's the commitment? Yeah. So at least at our club, and it's different in in different areas, but at the younger ages, they're training twice a week with one game a weekend. In, In other areas, that might be three times a week, but there's also a lot of evidence that would suggest that you can do too much too young, right? So a couple times a week, and when you're the parent, what should you do on the way to practice, on the way home from practice, after a game? Your kid's just starting out. What advice would you give to these parents to help their kids progress or enjoy their time? That's funny you asked that. I remember this was a sports psychologist that was saying this, and he was he was talking to parents, and it's like, hey, what should you say to your kid after a game? And everybody had, you know, how, how did you do? How do you think you did about this? And he goes, ask him, where do you want to go and eat after the game? (laughs) There's enough 
pressure, I think, for kids in sports. I don't think that they always need additional pressure from their parents. Now, I'm going to speak from experience. My parents expected me to work hard, to compete, to be serious. If I wasn't doing those things, then why would they be spending all this money and time? Mm -hmm. And so I think if you're going to have a conversation, it's about that and not so much about the sport itself. I think it's hard for parents who played compared to parents who didn't play. I find that parents who didn't play are usually easier going, right? And sometimes when they played, and I've certainly been guilty of this, get in the car, yo, man, let's talk about these three things that I saw. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a, that's a bad idea, particularly when they're young and you're just trying to see if they love to play. Can Tell I me, share a story about that Oh my gosh, yeah, please. You? Okay. When I was done playing, I went to Santa Clara. Cameron Rass was my coach. Cameron Rass was... Uh, the captain of the Olympic team in the 90s. Very good player. He was the coach of Santa Clara. He was my coach. I started coaching. At one point, I started coaching his son. Interesting, right? So if you imagine the power dynamic there. But mm. Cam Ross is a really good person, good character. And this is funny to me because it stuck with me. Not one time did I ever hear him coaching his son. Not one time did he ever talk to me. You should be doing this or that. He wouldn't even sit with parents. He would go sit all the way down at the end of the field and just watch and be a dad, you know? And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. That's a good example. Yeah. Isn't it? He gave the trust to the coach. I am not and was not as good of or as experienced of a coach as he was at that point was like, this is what's best for my son and trusted me to do that. I wish I had done that more when I was younger and thought I knew everything. My coaches of my kids probably would have liked me better. I know less now than... 15 years ago, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the truth, man? The more you age, the less you know. With coaching kids, there's different styles. Mm -hmm. There's different kinds of people. Talk about coaches bringing their own personality to the role of being coach and not expecting everyone to be kind of the same thing. Yeah. But what do we expect that is the same for these coaches of younger kids? Our jobs in working with kids at soccer, I think, get very diluted by everything that's out there online. You should be doing A, B, and C, and D. Mm. There's so much online. But we really lose track of the most important things. You have to be competitive. You have to work hard. You have to be intense at training. You could have an exercise that's online and give it to one guy and then another guy, and they can do it completely differently. And the guy that it has the kids moving that's intense, that's serious. It's way, way more beneficial than the guy that's just like, okay, I set up five cones and this is what we're going to do. And, and it's just casual and the kids are joking around, messing around. When you ask that question, it's don't lose sight of what is important. Don't lose sight of the things that will stick with you after soccer. And of course, that's the whole point of this podcast. Tell me now, if you were bringing in a new coach to coach nine-year-olds or 10-year-olds in the club, what are the three characteristics that you'd say, listen, man, or listen, sister, this is the, what's expected at every training session and every game. But outside of that, you know, you're your own person. Mm -hmm. You're, you have your own personality and quirks and philosophy. What are those three things? Number one, the most important thing is, are they a good person? And when I say good, I mean, do they care about the kids? Are they doing it because they want to help or are they doing it for themselves? I think is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. And that sounds cliche, but it happens. They might not even know it sometimes, you know, like what is your motivation behind doing this? Two is do they love the game? Like you gotta, you have to also love this sport. 
and and it doesn't mean you have to know everything about the sport. You know, everything I've learned has been from other people. And then three, I'll use a word, ego. Am I better than everybody else and I don't mm. need to, to listen to somebody else? It goes back to what's your motivation because we always have to be learning. And our goal is to do the best job for kids and back to collaborating, working with people. My next episode is about taking this same conversation but from the rec perspective and saying volunteer parent coaches, mm. not club coaches. And my guest is actually my brother, nice. who is a fairly new volunteer parent coach. I won't spoil too many things, but let me just put it this way. The three elements you just said, and he doesn't necessarily love the game of soccer because mm -hmm. he never was a soccer guy, but he loves the kids mm -hmm. and he loves to learn and help. Yeah. What I didn't hear was, well, you need to have a certain coaching pedigree need to have played at D1 level. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to have these other kind of characteristics so that I can put you on my website right? and I can show everybody how amazing my coaching staff is because they are from this country or they have this you know, coaching license or whatever. Those things are secondary to kids. Yeah. Primary are the three elements. Would you agree? I would agree 100%. And to add to that, it was a real eye-opener for me when I started coaching because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to run a good practice. I mm -hmm. played soccer at a very high level. And then I had 20, 11, 12-year-old kids there, and it was mayhem because <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. You know? <laughs> and you learned, though. And I learned. And how did you learn when you were just starting out? I'm going to get on that because you, you, as a new club coach, even yep. though you had the pedigree, right. you do have the pedigree. How did you learn when you were new? What would you suggest to these other coaches who I, are starting out? I watched and asked people who were better than me. I don't know a simpler way of saying that. And, you know, you have to have enough humility to say, I don't know it all and watch this guy or that guy and be like, what can I take away from him? It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that they're doing. You have to have your own personality as a coach, but you take this and that. I like this. I like that. And you say, mm, I probably wouldn't do that. And that speaks to just having a little bit of humility. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even though from a playing point of view, you're probably superior to the most of the coaches that you're dealing with, certainly to me. Mm -hmm. But from a coaching standpoint, that's all that matters. Right. You're not a professional soccer player anymore. Yeah. You're a guy helping kids now. Exactly. And I think getting to that ego concept, parents, coaches, if you were an athlete, even if you were the most amazing athlete in the world, once you transition into a parent or coach role, it's no longer about you. I use this analogy in other parts of my life, but... When we're young and we're playing, we're on stage and our parents and coaches are shining the spotlight on us. And when once we transition into a parent or coach role, now we got to get behind that spotlight. Yeah. And we got to follow the kids around and make sure they look amazing, that they, that they are presented in what they're doing. I want to take a little bit of a detour here to finish up. Let's skip going from the nine-year-olds who are just starting to the 17-year-old who says, I want to be a pro. Yeah. I want to give the audience a taste, a flavor of the mindset difference, the experience difference, the expectations that are different when you go from, I play a youth sport because I love it and I want to learn and gain all these amazing experiences to, I want to make a living out of this. My brother went professionally in Germany at 17. And this is a dream of many kids. First, I think it's important to be realistic about what you need to get there. You not only have to be very good at soccer, you have to be really disciplined. You have to have some luck, too. Mm. And nobody talks about luck, but that's a very real thing. You know, when I say luck, like, would I have been at the, in this residency program if my brother wasn't? 
I don't know. I don't know. But that certainly didn't hurt me. A lot of kids dream, I want to be a professional soccer player. It's really difficult to tell those kids any differently. But okay, what's that going to take? You're not going to have many friends because you're doing soccer all the time. Mm. You're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to do things that other people are not doing. You're also going to have to not do things that other people are doing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to knock for anybody, but it could be a very lonely journey. You know, like my brother, he signed at 17. He spent 10 years between Germany and Austria in a country that didn't grow up in and initially didn't know the language. Put yourself as a 17-year-old in those shoes. And that's not easy. You have to put everything together and say, is this realistic? Am I that good? Am I really that good? Because one question you asked me today was, what's it like being a good player in a small town? Everything is relative. Everything is relative. So you're a good player in a small town. Well, when I went to Seattle... At first, I was an average player. I had to work really, really hard, then I became a pretty good player. Then I went to Florida. I was one of the worst players out of the 40 when I started. And after two years, I was up there, up there. I, I mean, I started in our U-17 World Cup. You have to be resilient. You have to really want it. You have to really sacrifice. You got to have some luck. And then you have to also understand yeah. that dream might be a dream when you're young, and then reality sets in. Thanks for sharing that. There's a lot of insight there that I think people would be interested to hear more of. I hear a lot from kids, hey, I want to be a pro. Okay. And we're just going to talk soccer here, but I think there's some universal application to any sport you want to be a pro at. And, and you mentioned those things. I want to take a slightly different look at what you said. And I want to say, okay, if your goal is the outcome of becoming a professional, even if you don't get there, if you have a healthy mindset, and this can go for any goal, I want to make my high school team. Mm -hmm. I want to play in D3, whatever goal you set, what's the process that you're going to have to implement into your life that can then go with you, mm. even if you don't make it to the pros? Like, what did you and your brother, how has it helped you in business, in life, to have gained the habits of, like you said, showing up on time? Yeah. You were here before me, I mm. noticed. You're always here at practices before me and everything else. You know, showing up on time, doing the hard work preparing for things. How does that really just play in? And is it worth the effort, even if you don't get there, because you can bring these other habits and things with you? I'll start with the end of that. Is it worth the effort? Well, what's the alternative, right? To give up, you know? So, okay, this is what I want to do. You set these goals and then you got to make a plan how I'm going to get there. You have to do your absolute best. And the only way you're going to feel good about yourself if it doesn't work out is if you do your absolute best and you're like, you know what? I gave everything I could. That didn't work. Okay, now if you, you make a goal and you say, I want to do this, but you don't take action and you don't try, you might as well not make the goal, right? That's what soccer has taught me. One of the things we talked about, Dave, is you got to have a little luck too. Well, what happens if that doesn't work? Does that mean that that goal is over? No, maybe there's another way. Those things in life and personal life from soccer have, have stuck with me because believe it or not, things don't always go our way. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Let's finish up with this question. What would you tell 15-year-old Brandon now, knowing where you were and what you know now, what advice would you give him? That's a tough one, Dave. It, it, this isn't going to really have anything to do with soccer, and that's the funny thing. I would say be happier, be kinder to people, nurture your relationships in life. Nothing's mm. more important than your family, your good friends. And this goal of yours is important, but one day it's gone, too. So what else do you have? Mm -hmm. So a healthy dose of perspective, maybe. Yeah. I appreciate that. 
I think that in our roles as coaches, and I'm going to say this every episode because this is at the heart of what I believe, is that coaching is a sacred honor. Mm -hmm. And we have an opportunity to help kids gain a perspective that sometimes they won't even get at home. And you bring this with you and you say, hey, guys, your team, these guys or gals you're playing with and spending all this time with, your relationship with them is just as important as the result this weekend in the game. Absolutely. And the way you build trust and respect with each other, the way you sacrifice, you look over to your right and your left and you say, I'm never quitting on you. Those are things that are just as, if not more important than winning three, nothing in the championship game. For sure. Yeah. yeah. What a great conversation. Thank you. We started off talking about kids who want to play soccer, parents who are wondering if it's a good idea. I think you had some great points there. If you're asking me, of course, I'm incredibly biased. All kids should try to play soccer, play a season, try it out, right? Not everyone's going to love it or stick with it. That's fine, but give it a try, yeah. play different sports, try different things, but gain the habits and learn everything you can. Hey coaches, you're not really God's gift to coaching, but you might be God's gift to one of the kids on your team. Right. Yeah. And think of the change you could make in a kid's life. But thanks again. This is episode three of the dad bod soccer podcast. And we'll be seeing all of you soon. Thanks, Dave. It was awesome. Here's a huge thank you to you for joining me for the Dad Bod Soccer Podcast. My name again is Coach Dave Vasileros, and I'm just a regular guy who loves soccer, but really loves helping the kids learn and grow through sports. This podcast is for all you regular parents and coaches out there doing the exact same thing. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review. Share it with all your friends. If you have an idea about a topic you'd like me to cover, hit me up on Twitter at DadBodSoccer. Tune in for new episodes of the Dad Bod Soccer podcast as we grow this movement to keep youth sports about the kids. As always, love the kids, love the game, Dad Bod Soccer. Soccer.